So last time we did Hebrews, I know it's been a couple weeks. Do you remember what we talked oh. about, though? Hebrews is pretty it was, awesome. Um, it's intense, but it's awesome. It was the yeah. one when we, uh, we had to go back to chapter right. one. Yeah. Keep going back and back and, and back. And it contradicted what she was talking about while right. keeping the sound. Right. <laughs> After we went past the little cherry picker verse, uh-huh. it was like, so yeah, keep So do all these things. <laughs> they're important and they're good. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's like, so you pick something that contradicts what you say you don't want to do. Right. The one little verse because you didn't think we'd go read anything else. So, you know, therefore, as we have a high priest who's passed through the heavenly places, this is verse 14, Jesus, the Son of God, we must hold fast to our agreement. I do that. For we do not have a high priest who is not able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been uh, harassed by the enemy in all respects like we are and was without sin. Therefore, we must come to the throne of God who grants favor with the right of free and bold, open and frank speech, able to say what we like in order to take hold of mercy and find favor which leads to help in time of need. So, starting in verse 5, because if we... So, that's the new one? No, that, that's the end of the last one. So was, that was the end. Oh, but the, oh. But the next thing, the next thing that's on her little list... Right. Is Hebrews 7. Now, pay attention. Hebrews 7, 1 through 3, Move. and 17 through 18. So I'll read those, and then we will look I was at... I thought someone told me they had those on here. Oh, I thought that I don't would know. be interesting, so don't mind me. Okay, okay, I will not mind you. So 7, 1 through 3, and then 17 and 18, and then we're going to break wait, them wait, down. Wait. 1 through 3. Uh-huh. So from three to seventeen, it's like fourteen verses. They're uh-huh. just absolutely they just don't matter. Well, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see what they are. Because apparently they don't matter for her point. Oh, okay. so. yeah. that's right. <laughs> so one through that's three right. is this: Melchizedek was a king of Salem and a priest of the Most High God. He went out to meet Abraham, who was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Firstly, his name means king of righteousness, and secondly, king of Salem means king of peace. He remains a priest continually forever like the son of God. There is no record of his father or recorded mother. He has no genealogy. There is no record of his beginning of days or end of life. Now we'll jump to 17. Okay. Now, ironically, we wouldn't know about the connection to Melchizedek for Yeshua Except that, I mean, because the first verses that she gave us didn't include that. Right. But we read, so we know that there's a connection there. But let's see what happens in 17. Well, I see verses that they don't know. Oh, I don't know. You see how it says the Bible verses? I just want to know if they like limit us. I thought that would be cool to see. So, so verse 17. For it is testified, you are a priest forever from the line of succession of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulment of the previous command because of its weakness and uselessness. Okay, so that's that's the real point that she wants these verses to make. There is an annulment, for on the one hand, there is an annulment of the previous command because of its weaknesses and uselessness, as the law did not bring anything to completion. But on the other hand, there is the introduction of a superior hope through which we draw near to God. Oh, no, I'm sorry. We weren't supposed to read that verse. Oh. 
Only 17 and 18, Crystal, you're breaking Shut I'm sorry. So, yeah, 18 See? is for on the one hand, there is a moment of the previous command because of its weakness and uselessness. And we're supposed to stop there. Now, in the, in the Greek, 18 and 19 are both the same sentence. But we're not supposed to read that no, whole thing. We're supposed to stop at 18. Yes. So I think she's proven her point. Yes. Except that now we're going to go and read what the rest of these verses have to say. And then we're going to go, what was she thinking she was going to prove there? You mean we're supposed to read the rest? <laughs> That's a new thing. So. You're supposed to read 17A. That's right. Or 18A. How do you yeah, the first, just the first tab. Just the first tab. That's it. Not B. So, verse, chapter 5, I want to go ahead and read through 5 and 6, though, before we jump into 7. Okay. Because this is a letter, and it would be like saying, if you turn to page 4 in the letter, the first half of the paragraph, halfway down the page, that's my point. Right. Because the whole letter. Right. right. We, we don't want the context. We just want the point. So... So we're going to start so from... chapter 5, and, and okay. there's not a lot to break down in here, so I'm just going to kind of read through chapter 5, and then there's, there's just a couple things in 6. So chapter 5, for every high priest is taken from among people and is appointed on behalf of people in the things pertaining to God to offer gifts and sacrifices on behalf of sins. Okay, so that's the Levitical priests. Or really, any priest in any, in any religion, that's their purpose. They're chosen from the people. Mm-hmm. To do those things. You said chapter five. Chapter five. Verse two. Verse two. That would no, we're now on verse two. They are able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are wandering off, since they themselves have also been clothed in weakness. So they're chosen from the people. They're human. They're able to support each other and encourage yeah, each other. Right. To and, identify with. Right. They like, can relate. I know it's hard. And this is why they have to offer sacrifices on behalf of their sins as well as on behalf of the sins of the people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so before before Yom Kippur every year, the priest has this elaborate ceremony he has to go through to remove his own sins so that he can go into the presence of God. And no one takes this honor upon themselves. They must be invited by God just as Aaron was. So too, the anointed one did not do himself the honor of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son, today I have conceived you. And that is from Psalm 2-7. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the succession of Melchizedek. And that's Psalm 110-4. So the author of Hebrews is pulling in these messianic statements from the Psalms to, mm-hmm. to give us a bigger picture. That's his so, reference. Yeah, saying that these are the things that, that God has said about Messiah. This is who we know he is. During the days when Jesus was of the earthly life, with loud shouts and tears, he offered up earnest requests as well as prayers, claiming the right of help and protection. Um, let's see. To him who was able to save him from death. His precaution was listened to. Um, his precaution or his reverent submission. Um... Let me see. She's got a little note here about the... So basically it's precaution... So reverence submission. Like I'm doing this 
because this is what's required. Right. And, and doing the correct thing before you go. Um, although he was a son, he learned to pay attention from the things that happened to him. And when he had been brought to maturity, he became the cause of salvation to all who pay attention to him. This was after he had been proclaimed as high priest of God in the succession of Melchizedek. We have much to say to you, and it is difficult to explain in words. So this is, you know, he, this is a little more personal part of the letter. It's like, okay, so here's some things about Messiah. Now we have much to say to you, and it is difficult to explain in words, since your hearing has become dull and sluggish. Yes, it's versus following that that we want to take out of context to prove our point. <laughs> you know, we don't want to we don't want to maybe be the dull and sluggish ones. For although you ought to have become teachers by this time, once again you need someone to teach you the fundamental principles of the very foundation of the words of God. You have become people who need milk and not solid food. Everyone who participates in milk is without experience in the just word. And is childish, not speaking, still unfit to bear weapons. Solid food is for mature people, those who are skilled as the result of practice and have trained their perceptions to decide what is favorable and what is bad. So chapter 6 begins. And, and just, you know, as a reminder, the breakdowns of the chapters and stuff weren't actually there in the letters. <laughs> right. It was just, those are actually, like in legal documents, if you ever look on legal documents, yes. how they have the numbers on the side. It's just so you can say, go to line 12 right. and let's all read the like same thing together. Line something, yeah. Right, right. So it's not like, it's not like the author of Hebrews said, no, we're starting a new chapter. <laughs> it just seemed like a good place to break because it starts with, so then... So solid, verse 14 of the previous chapter, solid food is for mature people, those who are skilled in the result, as the result of practice, and have trained their perceptions to decide what is favorable and what is bad. So in other words, you're ready for the more mature things of God when you have disciplined yourself in the things of God so that you recognize them. You know, this... If somebody comes up to you and says, well, God's word says this, and you go, does it? Right. At least in that area, you're still on milk. And that's why you go back to the word. You go, oh, no, wait, no, it doesn't. Right. It says this. You know, but the person who can say, um, no, actually, in this verse, it says, so it says this. Now, that is not the same thing as the groups and the denominations and the subcultures in Christianity that have memorized, like, you know, Handing out this little list is not meat. No. This is, oh, I know the answer to this. I've been given this list before. It's these verses. Da, 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 da. Um, but my guess is any attempt to engage in a discussion of the context of those verses would be nope. met with, well, that's not the important part. Or, you know, well, I, I haven't read that. We cherry picked this out, so that's the part that's right. important. But don't worry about the rest. Don't worry about the rest. Right. It, it, it has nothing to do with this point. So chapter 6, so then, we will leave the basic teachings about the anointed one and move on to maturity. We won't go back to laying down the basics of turning away from dead acts, laying down the foundations of faith in God, teaching about cleansing rites, about laying on of hands, about the resurrection of the dead, and about eternal judgment. Okay, there is a list. If you want to determine whether someone is on meat or milk, Think about 
things that they focus all of their time on? Are they debating or, or, or focusing on issues of getting saved? Um, turning away from dead acts, laying down the foundations of faith in God, teaching about cleansing rites, laying on of hands, about the resurrection of the dead, and about eternal judgment. So we won't go back to these basics. These are the basics. These are the things that you learn about and you go, oh, okay, now how do I live? Right. What do I do? And we will do this if that is God entrusted to us. Those who have fallen away after experiencing the heavenly gift, after being in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And I want to see if there's a partnership here. Um, it's, it's a contractual thing. She's got notes in another chapter about, or another book about that. Um, with the Holy Spirit, after experiencing the favor brought by God's spoken word and the power of the coming age. Let's see. The commonly translated interpretation. Um, a causal sense attributed, however, a patristic interpretation revived by Alonso. I'm trying to figure out what her point is here. Hold on. <laughs> Okay, so she's explaining why she translates, translates it this way. After experiencing the favor brought by God's spoken word and the power of the coming age, these people are impossible to renew. It is impossible to crucify the Son of God a second time for them to change their own minds. This makes a mockery of him. Now, that's not saying somebody who's walked away from the faith is gone. But it actually contradicts the position that the person who gave this list said so often, which was, oh, well, you're not saved now. you got to get saved again. you got to get saved again. you got to get saved. Oh, well, if you're still sinning, well, now clearly you're not saved. you got to right. get saved again. You were saved, but now you're not saved, so you got to get saved again. This is saying that this is actually addressing saved. that entire belief. Well, this is saying if, you, if you've actually truly rejected God after experiencing the fullness of faith, Jesus isn't going to die again to save you. Right. You can't get saved again. Right. Now, that opens up the question, at what point has someone actually walked away from God? And I think that's what we know. can't know. Because there's a period of time in my life where people would have thought I had completely walked away from God. Mm -hmm. And I've walked away from religion. I've walked away from everything I've been taught about God. But I haven't walked away from God. Mm. And if everything you've been taught about God has not allowed you to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit and experience the favor brought by God's spoken word and the power of the coming age, and you've walked away from it, that's probably a good thing. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so... People think, well, I told them the word, you know, they were they were coming to our church and they said they were saved and now they've walked away from God. That's it. Hebrews says they're, they're lost. No. It doesn't say that. It's saying you can't get saved again and again and again and again. Stop with that ridiculousness. Ground which soaks, verse 7, ground which soaks up rain that often falls on it produces a crop useful to those for whom it is cultivated and receives in exchange a blessing from God. 
but if it produces thorn bushes and thistles, it fails the test and comes near to being cursed. Its end result is to be burned. But dear friends, we are sure of better things in your case, things that cling closely to salvation. Think about, okay, I'm laughing because this verse is like, we're really, really hopeful that you're not just producing weeds. <laughs> we're, we're hopeful that there's something better coming from you. Something that clings closely to salvation. <laughs> you know, there's kind of a jab in here of, of good Lord, come on, are you going to get this ever? Even though we're speaking like this. God is not unjust. He will not overlook your work and the love you have displayed for his name by financially providing for the people devoted to God and continuing to financially provide for them. Um, so in other words, you have been faithful in your actions. Your teachings, eh. <laughs> not always quite where they should be, but you're, you are faithful. God knows your heart. He's not going to overlook that. Okay? You continue to provide for people devoted to God and continue to financially support them. We long for every one of you to display the same eagerness until you receive in full what you hope for, so that you do not become lazy, but instead imitate those who are inheriting the promises through faith and perseverance. Now, the result is financially support them. Learn from them. Figure out, like, like start modeling after them. Indeed, verse 13, indeed, when God promised Abraham, since he couldn't make an oath by anyone greater, he made an oath by himself. He said, in all truth, I will abundantly bless you and I will abundantly multiply you. And so after he had persevered, Abraham hit the mark and got the promise. For people make an oath by the one who is more important and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to any dispute. God intervened with an oath because he wanted to demonstrate even more forcibly the unchangeable position of his purpose to the heirs of the promise. This was so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to say what is untrue, we who have taken refuge in him would have strong encouragement to seize firm hold of the hope that has already been settled beforehand. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul, unfailing and trustworthy. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the veil where Jesus, our forerunner, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest from the line of succession of Melchizedek. Okay, this, is, this is what precludes and, and, and pre I'm sorry, precedes chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, Okay, which was her, her statement. So, so this is... We can have faith in God. We can trust him for his promises. Because Yeshua has done what God promised Abraham Yeshua would do. This Melchizedek was the king of Salem and a priest of the Most High God. He went out to meet Abraham, who was returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Okay, now... First of all, in response to meeting him, meeting him, before the Mosaic Law was written, Abraham tithed. So, 
when when we go back, you know, when we've looked in Genesis and when we look at the stories of all of the, the patriarchs and the different things that these people did, we see so many aspects of Torah instruction, which which goes with what the first couple of chapters said. We see all of these things and what we read in Galatians, these things are basic teachings. The law existed before the law was written. It was just written and, and included the penalties in order to hold people accountable to it at that time. But the law itself, the instruction itself, it predates the written down. So um, he says, there is no record of his father. Or is it? Oh, he remains a priest continually forever like the son of God. There is no record of his father or recorded mother. He has no genealogy. There is no record of his beginning of days or end of life. Now think about what a great person he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the best plunder of war. Now on the one hand, the law requires the descendants of Levi, who hold the office of priest, to receive the one-tenth from the people. That is to say, their fellow believers, even though their fellow believers are descended from Abraham. But on the other hand, this person has not traced his descent to Levi, but he has collected the one-tenth from Abraham and has blessed the, the one, Abraham, who had the promises. So, okay, so the Levites came after Melchizedek, and they are instructed to take the tenth from their fellow, you know, their fellow believers who are descended from Abraham. But this predates that, is what he's saying. And he, you know, he received that, and he's not traced to Levi. Without any dispute whatsoever, the lesser is blessed by the more important. In the one case, the one-tenth keeps being collected by people who die, but in the other case, it keeps being collected by him who is witnessed as being alive. So, if the lesser is blessed by the more important, okay, so th this, is, this, is, this is what he's saying. The Levites descended from Abraham. The Levites are lesser than Abraham, but were chosen to continue to collect the tithe from all of their, the other descendants of Abraham. But if we go from the lesser to the greater than above Abraham, the one who blessed him is Melchizedek. So the Levites are lesser than Melchizedek. Mm -hmm. So that's, 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 the, that's the point here. In the case, the one-tenth keeps being collected by people who die, the Levites. But in the other case, it keeps being collected by him who is witnessed as being alive. It could even be said that Levi, who is the receiver of the one-tenth, paid the one-tenth through Abraham, where he was still in the body of his father when Melchizedek went out to meet him. Okay. So even the Levitical priests were present in giving that tenth to Melchizedek. One verse? verse that was verse 10. So now we're on verse 11. Therefore, if then there had been completion through the Levitical priesthood, for under the law it was given to the people, why was there still a need for a different priest to come, one from the line of succession of Melchizedek, not from the line of succession of Aaron? For when there's a change of priesthood, it's necessary that there be a change of the law. The one about whom these things are said participated in a different tribe. 
and no one from that tribe has ever devoted themselves to sacrificial duty. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and Moses didn't speak anything about that tribe with regard to the priesthood. And it is even more obvious if another priest like Melchizedek arises, one who has become a priest not on the basis of the law's commands about selection due to ancestry, but on the basis of power of indissoluble life, for it is testified you are a priest forever from the line of succession of Melchizedek. For, so that's the context of that verse 17. So the point is being made here. Yeshua is, is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He didn't trace himself, you know, he didn't become a priest because of the succession of the law. He wasn't a Levite. He wasn't in the tribe that was chosen for this. It's a different priesthood that he represents. Verse 18, for on the one hand, there is an annulment of the previous command because of its weakness and uselessness, as the law did not bring anything to completion, which we already talked about in Galatians. That wasn't its purpose. Its purpose was never to bring righteousness into people's lives. It was to teach them about it and hold them accountable to it. But on the other hand, there is the instruction of a superior hope through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath being sworn. Indeed, others became priests without any oath being sworn. But he became a priest with an oath being sworn through God saying to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So to the same degree, Jesus has become the pledge of a superior covenant. Now, Keep in mind that this is being said after the author has said, we're moving on from the basics. We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about the resurrection of the flesh. We're not talking about these basic things. We're talking about righteousness. We're moving into the area of discussing righteousness. So this is not a statement about salvation. This is not a question of, well, can you get saved by the law or do you have to get saved by Jesus? This is a discussion of where does righteousness come from? What, this is a mature discussion. So verse 23. Okay, okay, because Jesus has become the pledge of a superior covenant. Verse 22. Verse 23. Now there have been numerous priests because death prevented them from staying in office. Well, yes. They died and got replaced. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. And so he is completely able to rescue and preserve those who come to God through him because he is always alive to intercede on their behalf. Such a high priest is suitable for us, one who is godly, without malice, and is unpolluted, one who has been separated from sinners, one who has become higher than the heavenly places, Unlike the former high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. Indeed, the law appoints people who have weaknesses as high priests, but the word sworn on oath, which came after the law, ordained the Son, who has been made complete forever. So I want to go into chapter 8, which isn't too long here, and, and we'll go ahead and, and stop there because I think we've got...
<laughs> yeah, we'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and do chapter eight because it starts with. Now, this is the main point of what we are saying. Okay, so all of that, all of those verses in chapter seven, they were, they were, they're not the main point. They're leading to the main point. Let's cherry pick a couple of verses out of the not the main point section of our text. Yes. And say that that's what we're trying to prove. Because it's the main point. Because it's the main point. Yes. Now this. Hilarious. It's just my mind. I'm like, why don't you read? But then I can't be too mad because I was in that. Same oh, we've goal. all been there. You know what I yeah, mean? we've all been there. I mean, it's, just that, it's just that with me still being, I mean, I still, you know, me being as young as I am, it's like I'm so happy that I went through a lot of these transitions. <laughs> Actually, um, so now you can just so smile now, at people. Yeah, like now I'm just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so right this on. is the main point of what we are saying. Oh, there it is. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right side of the majesty in heaven and who ministers in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle elected by, or erected by the Lord, not by people. Every high priest is ordained to offer both gifts and sacrifices. This being the case, it is necessary for this high priest to have something to offer. So if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are already people who keep offering the gifts prescribed by the law. They minister at a sanctuary that is a pattern and shadow of the heavenly places, which we've talked about before. The sanctuary, uh, or the, the, the tabernacle, and eventually the temple, were a picture of the throne room of God. Okay? So, they, you know, yes, they offer um, in places that are a shadow, patterned in the shadow of the heavenly places. This is why Moses received the divine revelation when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the plan that was sketched out to you on the mountain. In fact, the ministry that has fallen to Jesus is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, seeing that it has been legislated on the basis of better promises. Okay, but and keeping in his references from uh, the Old Testament from Exodus. Yeah, Exodus twenty-five forty. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Moses always knew that what they were building on earth was a picture and a shadow mm-hmm. of what he saw when he was in the throne room of God above the mountain. Right. And Abraham knew that there was an element of the promise God made to him about physical descendants, and then there was an element of a messianic person who would come who would save all the nations. They both knew this. There's no confusion. There's no, well, what's this new thing God's doing? What's this new revelation? It's not new. It's not new. It hadn't happened yet. They hadn't seen it play out. Um, But it's not new. So, for if that first covenant had been blameless, there would have been no need for a second. Because he found fault with the Israelites, he said, Indeed, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will finish off a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay, I will finish off a new covenant. I will do it. And he found fault with them. And he said to them, I will, this new covenant will be with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. He didn't make a new covenant with different... That's it, I'm done with you Jews. I'm finished. You just annoyed the crap out of me and I'm out of here. 
I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go take some boys and do something with them. They'll be better. No, I said I'm making a new. You know, I'm gonna. There'll be a new covenant. That's. It, it'll all be with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt, because they did not remain in my covenant and I and I neglected them says the Lord, because this is the covenant I will draw up with the house of Israel after those days. And and the Mosaic covenant was, the Mosaic law was made with a covenant. They said, send Moses up, have him come back with some laws, we'll follow him. They, they took, you know, they were anointed with the, the blood of the sacrifices. There was a covenant made. Because this is the covenant I will draw up with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their understanding and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will someone teach their neighbor or will someone teach their siblings saying, Come to know the Lord, because they all will know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their offenses and I won't remember their sins anymore. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete and aged is close to ceasing to exist. In other words, we're not going to do my instructions with, with penalties and punishments. And, and you know, I'm, we're taking it deeper. Now my law, that same law, the law didn't change. So, that law will be written on your hearts. I'm going to infuse you with it. I'm going to put it inside of you. It's going to be what guides you. You should not be preaching. I need you to read Hebrews 8, 11a. Right. <laughs> the law, will someone teach their neighbor? Yeah. Period. <laughs> Well, I know, but that's, that's what happened. Because it's like, when you read that, if you don't go on, like, because I just thought about that when we were reading it, I was like, oh, wait, so we're not supposed to, oh, I see, oh. But keep going, keep going. So chapter nine, it says, now the first covenant, because he's saying, you know, this old one was obsolete, but what about it was obsolete? It's the same law, one law written on stones, the next law written on your heart. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and a sanctuary which was earthly. A tabernacle was constructed in its first room where the lampstand, the table, and the setting out of the sacred bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second veil was a room called the holiest of holies, which had the golden incense altar and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the splendor overshadowing the mercy seat, but we can't discuss these things in detail right now. Okay, probably because we just, but we're not going to get into that. Was, after these things had been constructed like this, the priests kept going into the outer room to carry out their acts of worship. But only the high priest could go into the inner room, and he could only do that once a year. He could never go into the inner room without blood, which he offered for himself and for those sins that the people had committed without knowing that they were sins. The Holy Spirit revealed this, that the way into the holiest of holies was not yet made known while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. The gifts and sacrifices were only on the level of eating and drinking and cleansing rites. 
regulations for things of the natural realm to stay in effect until the time a new way was laid down. So the pure, you know, the, the purity laws, the things that were required for them to be able to enter in to God's presence. Because remember, we've talked about, it's not that God can't be in the presence of sin. It's that sin can't be in the presence of God. So they had to do things to remove the sins from them, to make themselves able to go into God's presence so that they wouldn't burst into flames. So what's changed is that we're now able to boldly go into the throne room of God because our sins have been completely removed from us. Our sins are not on us. Our sins are not carried by us. We don't, we are free from the power of sin and death. It doesn't mean we don't make mistakes or we don't still sin sometimes. It just means that we're not being held accountable when we're in relationship with God for those things in a way that breaks relationship, in a way that separates us from him, in a way that we have to walk around like, oh, I'm just filthy. You know, so when people, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Stop. Mm -hmm. If that grace didn't change you, it wasn't good news. Right. <laughs> you don't continue to be a worm. Stop it. So, but when the anointed one came, verse 11, he was a high priest of the good things that are already here. He went through the greater and more complete tabernacle that is not made by humans. That is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter it by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the, he entered the holiest of holies. The one in the actual throne room of God, not the one we have a picture and a pattern of. Once and for all by his own blood as he had paid the ransom forever. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean makes them holy as far as the cleansing of the natural realm goes. So how much more then will the blood of the anointed one, who through the eternal spirit offered himself up as an unblemished sacrifice to God, Cleanse our consciences from things done when we were corpses so that we may worship the living God. And on account, of, on account of this, the anointed one is the mediator of the new covenant between God and people so that those who have been invited may take hold of the promise, namely the inheritance which lasts forever. It was his death that led to their offenses being released when he paid the ransom for them during the time of the first covenant. So, in other words, all of that ritual cleansing was so that your physical body could walk into the physical tabernacle or temple and stand in the physical version of the Holy of Holies. What Yeshua did was he went into the actual Holy of Holies so that we can go into the throne room of God boldly. Our physical, you know, our, our physical is what it is. That's not keeping us from that. It's not separating us anymore. There doesn't have to be a wall that keeps us out. There doesn't have to be ritual that we undergo in order to make ourselves safe to walk into God's presence. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's deeper. It's bigger. It's, it's more. So, for where there is a will and testament, it is necessary for, this is verse 16, for the person who made the will and testament to die. For the will and testament is guaranteed as valid only after people are dead. 
since it cannot go into effect while the person who made it is alive. That's so true. Okay? I and mean, that's just like, yeah, okay. Hence, not even the first covenant had been, has been dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken each command to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves as well as water, crimson wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the book itself and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God made with you. And in the same way, he sprinkled the tabernacle as well as all the vessels of service used in the worship with the blood. And according to the law, nearly everything must be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no cancellation of sins. Therefore, it is necessary for the patterns of the things in the heavenly places to be cleansed by these means. But for the things of the heavenly places themselves be cleansed with better sacrifices than these. For the anointed one did not enter a sanctuary made by humans, an echoing of the real things. But in heaven itself, as the case now stands to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Not that he offers himself up often, just as the high priest enters the Holy of Holies year by year with blood that is not his own. As in that case, he would have had to experience it often right from the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has been revealed once at the completion of the ages to annul sin by sacrificing himself. And just as it is in store for people to die once, and after that is the court trial, so too the anointed one offered himself once to take the sins of many on himself. He will be seen a second time, yet this time not in relation to sin, but rather to those who are expecting him for the purpose of deliverance. Okay, so when he comes back, it's not going to be to deal with sin. He dealt with sin. Sin's been dealt with. When he said it is finished, he literally meant it is finished. And by that, he didn't mean that the old covenant is done away with. He means I've taken care of the problem of sin once and for all. Period. Mankind is no longer under the burden of the consequences of sin and death. Which, frankly, is good news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why it's called the gospel. <laughs> so, many, so many things that people take around and try and make people believe, and I go, how, how is that good news? So what is her point? But that verse. Oh, just, just that one little verse. That's why you can't read anything around it. So what was her point? Her point was these are why we don't follow the law. These are why we don't do the things that the that Torah teaches. But they're done away with. No, it didn't. It didn't say that at all. And first of all, her cherry picker verse didn't even say that. And then secondly, when you read everything in context, it didn't say that. Right. So how does that prove anything that you're saying? Because when you're dealing with someone who is still on milk, and you hand them these verses that seem to create a picture of making the point you're trying to make, it will convince them. The problem is these verses don't fly with people who are on meat, who go, what are the 14 verses in between those? What do they say? Why are we skipping them? Yeah, that's where I was You know? <laughs> so from 3 to 17, we just don't know. Right. It's, it's irrelevant. They could have just not included those. Right. So, so next time we're going to tackle Matthew, chapter 12. Um, and I cannot be here next week.
So it will be the week Shame. after that. <laughs> there is no condemnation for those in Yeshua HaMashiach. So there. <laughs> but we will tackle Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Yeah. Which actually gives more of a context there. I guess 1 through 13. But, own, well, read it, but we'll, t- we'll talk about the following week. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Go ahead and read it. Gets <laughs> all just read it by myself. It's like whatever. Let us know what you think. I'm gonna be here by myself with my old little video. I'm just celebrating. I'm just. What is the loneliest number? <laughs> you have three kids. You're never alone. Right. For real. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll go ahead and end the recording. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace in the week to come. Amen. Amen.